Wholesaling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran Tom Didion. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didion team. Let's jump in. Greetings and moyen, everybody. Thank you for coming back to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am your host, Tom Didier. So here we are. We made it to June 2023. Going to give you just a quick market update, which unfortunately, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to because guess what? Interest rates are still high. Inventory is still super low and buyer demand is very, very high. Um, Still in a weird market. Interest rates, 30-year fixed today is 6.3. A 15-year fixed is 5.875, and the five-year arm is 6.95, so not a ton of change there. Um, So we'll see where this goes. But today's episode is going to be short and sweet. This is a Facebook Q&A episode, so I had posted a few questions uh, about two days ago to my um, Facebook friends to see what they wanted to talk about. And I'm pretty happy to say I got a, a few good ones. First up, Jonathan. Jonathan says, talk about something about buying, finding a multifamily home in this market. Things you notice about ones available, work needed, and if it's a good time to buy. Well, a couple different questions there, Jonathan. Is it a good time to buy? I always tell my clients and customers, the right time to buy is when you are ready to buy. There's no such thing as timing the market in real estate. It works that way for the stock market too, although some people are very good at it. Um, I always say that it's the right time to buy when you're ready to buy. So as far as multifamily homes, I, you know, my, my first response is to say, good luck. And I mean that with seriousness and a little bit of facetiousness. It's uh, multifamily homes in Ozaki County are just scarce. So I decided to back up my answer and just jumped on the MLS and looked and looked up all of the Ozaki County multifamily homes that are currently on the market. And the number is zero. There is not a single property in Ozaki County offered for sale. Uh, The definition of a multifamily home in Ozaki, by the way, is three units or more. So that does not include duplexes. I would say most multifamilies in our market start at four units and then go up to six, eight, 10, 12, you know, 20, 40. There's really no limit on how big a multifamily building can be. But Ozaki County has zero. Um, I jumped into Washington County. They have nine for sale, of which seven of the nine are our contract. Um, Then I I said, okay, have the MLS tell me how many have sold. So in the last 12 months, Ozaki County has sold five total multifamily buildings. The average there was about 500 grand for a four-unit building. And in Washington County, they only had four sales. It was about the same average. The average was about a $500,000 sale price for four units. There was some variances in there. So, yeah, multifamily is a it's a good investment. I would say the returns have been going down because the prices have been going up. So, you know, your rate of return on a multifamily is hopefully going to be better than that of a obviously a CD or something like that. But um, I've been noticing the rate of return probably go in the wrong direction just because the purchase prices are going up so much. So something to consider. But Jonathan, if you want to buy a multifamily place, give me a call and we'll sit down and talk about it. Um, Nick says, what are your thoughts about investing in properties more for Airbnbs rather than rentals? Jane chimed in and said, yes, this, what questions do you need to ask to learn if it's allowed and if there are zoning issues? So yeah, Airbnbs and VRBO, huge 
topic, very popular over the past few years, more and more and more popular. I have a lot to say about it. I'm I'm not sure if this is going to be a short answer or a long one, but there is a lot to talk about. I personally had one. Our family vacation home in northern Wisconsin was a VRBO for about seven or eight years. So I'll talk a little bit about my experience doing it, and then I'll talk about my experience as a realtor with people that are looking for them. And within, you know, this topic, I think there's multiple topics. There's financing, insurance, and zoning. Start with what I think is the easiest one to talk about, which is insurance. If you are going to have an Airbnb VRBO, or if you have one, please make sure you actually are upfront and honest and tell your insurance agent, because guess what? I'm not an insurance agent, but I can tell you that if you have a loss or a claim and that happens during a period of time when an occupant is in the home, you have no insurance. It's going to be denied. It's going to be, you don't have coverage for that. That's a separate policy. I learned, I didn't learn the hard way. Actually, it's kind of a funny story. My neighbor, who I love to death, she tattletailed on me and told my insurance agent about our VRBO. And then my insurance agent called and we're very, we're friends. And she said, Hey, are you really, you know, renting your place? And I said, yeah, why? And she said, you have no coverage for that. And she was very open and honest with me. And I said, all right, it wasn't hard to convince me because what's the point of having insurance if it doesn't have any coverages? So um, she had to change the type of policy. It went from whatever I had to a short-term rental policy. Um, It was more. It was considerably more. I don't know exactly if it was double or anything, but it was considerably more, but at least I had the coverage in place. Um, You have to have what's called host protection for that sort of thing. And if you think about it, the insurance companies are open to a lot more exposure for liability when there's random people in your house. So it makes sense. So insurance-wise, make sure you have the proper coverage. Financing. So financing is really interesting. And again, this industry is changing all the time. And banks have different standards. And borrowers have different credit scores. So, you know, the purchase of an Airbnb, if you're going to purchase it as an Airbnb, the bank is typically going to look at that as an investment property. In my experience, they're not really going to care if you're renting it by the day or the week or the month, um, it's still going to be an investment property. You're still going to probably have to put at least 20% down. Where it gets tricky is if you need that income uh, from the property as part of your income to qualify for the loan. So when you buy an existing rented home, you've got a lease in place, you've got rent history, you know that this property kicks off X dollars per month, which multiplies you know, by 12 per year, and the bank can use that to qualify you. Here, if you're going to be buying an Airbnb and turning it into it for first time, there's nothing, there's no history of it, and the bank's not going to know, you know, what to use as income. So keep that in mind. It's going to be very different financing, and it's going to depend on what you're telling your bank, to be honest with you. And I'm not going to tell you what to tell them or what not to tell them. I will just tell you that um, another interesting thing that's changed in the financing is that second homes Second homes were really the catalyst for these Airbnbs. People took their second homes and turned them into, you know, vacation rentals. Well, when people bought those second homes, they bought them with financing terms under second homes, which are you were usually pretty lucrative. It was almost similar to a primary home. It was a nice cheap interest rate and low down payment, and it was your second house. The banks, I want to say it's a vague term saying the banks, but many banks now have changed the financing terms for second homes to be the same as commercial investment properties because, guess what, I just said, uh, everyone's turning their second homes into investment properties. So again, there's a little more exposure there for the bank. So 
I don't have um, a real black and white answer for you on financing, just to say that every bank's going to be a little different on their terms and their underwriting rules, whether or not you told them or you choose to tell them that you're going to do an Airbnb or a VRBO. So that's a little bit on financing. Zoning is the big one. And this is, again, constantly changing because the invention of short-term rentals, Airbnb, VRBO, it's still it's still relatively new. And um, I think it was about 2018, the realtors in Wisconsin passed a law similar to a lot of other states, and it was called the right to rent. Yeah, that was the generic term for the law, right to rent, which just simply meant um, home owners have the right to rent their homes. However, there's lots and lots of stipulations. It basically says that, at least in Wisconsin, and again, I'm not a lawyer, I'm just speaking from my recollection of understanding the bill. What it basically says is that municipalities can, they can regulate rentals, but they can't prohibit them. So a municipality can't just say no rentals whatsoever. They can, however, institute rules on like permits and if conditional use permits are needed and if inspections are required. They can enforce parking restrictions for short-term rentals, noise restrictions, all sorts of things. So basically, Wisconsin said, yep, everyone has to have the right to rent their place, um, but the municipalities can um, regulate it. Now, enforcement of it, I don't have any information for you as to who enforces it, how well they enforce it, what the fines are. You know, it's all over the board. My experience has been that the bigger the municipality and the more popular Airbnbs are, the more the more well-versed they are in enforcing their enforcements, if that makes any sense. Um, there are some smaller rural tom- towns where I would venture to say there is no enforcement and there is no zoning and there's not much done about it. But again, that's just based on personal experience. Don't take uh, my word for it that you're not going to get in trouble. You know, the state of Wisconsin also watches this and enforces it, uh, or at least attempts to. For a while there, they were saying that all Airbnbs and all VRBOs are basically hotel rooms, and therefore they're subject to the same, the exact same regulations. There was a pool and a hot tub rule that I remember reading about, and the state was saying, well, if an Airbnb has a hot tub or a pool, those need to be subject to the exact same rules and regulations as hotels. In Wisconsin, you're supposed to have a license. It's supposed to be called a tourist rooming house license. And with that, of course, are some permits and fees and inspections and things like that. So that's kind of a really long answer. But yeah, zoning is super important to know um, whether you care to know. Now, of course, a lot of people live by the um, don't ask for permission, beg for forgiveness. Not that I'm telling you to do that, but I'm just saying it's been my experience that some people live by that. And they have really successful short-term rentals, and it's great. Um, So there was a lot within there financing, zoning, uh, and insurance. And again, uh, I we had our house, um, it was great for about seven years, and we decided to not do it, not based on any bad experience. We had awesome experience. We met some really cool families. Oh, here's my really good advice. This is probably my best tip I can give. <laughs> and of course, you can't really make sure, but if there's a grandmother there, nothing will go wrong. Grandmothers are the guardians of everything. They make sure people get paid the month, they make sure the place is cleaner than the way they found it. Um, that was our experience. Is that as long as there was a grandmother there, we got amazing letters, uh, we got great reviews, and the place was literally always cleaner than the way they found it. 
have a house to sell, but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market? Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team. With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee, Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home. No matter where you live in the dairy state, put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth and connect with the team to make your next real estate transaction a dream. Now, back to the show. Another thing to consider with Airbnbs is, um, you know, the turnover. I don't have any recommendations or referrals for you guys in terms of who to hire to turn these places over to, you know, wash the sheets and do the cleaning. Cause that's the biggest thing is they're very, very labor intensive. That's probably another part of the reason we, we got out of that is that we didn't have any um, labor resources up there for people to, to clean or anything. Um, of course we also took it back because of the age of our kids got older and we're starting to use it more and more. So it's been awesome, but lots and lots to consider there with, uh, Airbnbs, um, and of course, again, it's constantly changing. When I was on VRBO, I paid one totally reasonable annual flat fee, and that was it. And I could use their platform to rent to as many people as I wanted to for as much as I wanted to. Nowadays, both the tenant and the landlord are paying a lot of permits, a lot of fees. The platforms are taking a chunk of the money. It gets crazy, but it is what it is. The market's evolving. So, all right, moving on. Mom, my mom has a question. She wants to know, how about the availability and price of rural agricultural and recreational acreage in our area? Speaking from experience, what's really funny is that my first year was 1996, and I remember large parcels of farmland were so easy to evaluate because they were going for $1,000 per acre. I remember the first parcel I sold, it was 100 acres for $100,000. Pretty simple math. And for the next two years, that was about what farmland was going for. And this is just farmland. This is, I'm talking about land that a farmer can afford to pay per acre to, for tillable land that they can get a yield off of. This is not development. This is not subdivisions. These are not five-acre lots. This is just farmland. So that was 1996 to 1998, I would say you know, a little over $1,000 an acre. Nowadays, these same parcels in our area are going for about $7,000 per acre. Now, there's always variances based on size, location, how romantic it is, if it's got woods or water, if it's got hills. But I'm seeing like the average farmer, if there is such a thing, I'm seeing the average farmer in our area have to pay about seven dollars to $8,000 per acre just to acquire it. Now, a farmer, what I've also noticed is they will pay a little bit more if it's closer to their existing farm because that makes sense, right? They don't have to transport their large machinery, you know, miles and miles across the county. And then the other thing to consider is that farmland that is located closer in proximity to municipalities, cities and towns uh, and villages, that's worth more too. So I've seen farmers pay ten to 12000 an acre if it's close to the city and they think, well, within the next 10 years it might be a subdivision anyway. So that's kind of, a, again, a vague term, but consider that farmland was $1,000 an acre in 1996, and that is now about $8,000 an acre 
in 2023. So food for thought. Second part of that question is recreational acreage. So in my experience, rec acreage is basically recreational land that you can either hunt on, fish on, ride your four-wheelers, go camping. That's about it. It's usually lowland or wooded land that doesn't have road frontage or it's got a lot of floodplain, things like that. That used to be as low as 500 bucks an acre, you know, or even less when I started. Rec land is now at about 1,000 to 3,000 per acre, and that's just my opinion based on what I've seen. And that's for land, large parcels that really have no potential for even a building site. Um, there's not a ton of rec land in our area. It's been kind of gobbled up already. Um, all right, on to the next question. Stephen. Stephen says, it would be great to hear you talk more about property taxes. With prices surging, assessors have participated in squeezing the market alongside interest rates by increasing assessments. How has this affected current homeowners and potential buyers? From a macro perspective, do you think those on fixed incomes risk being pushed out of their homes? The increased assessments should have increased the tax base for municipalities as well. Have you heard anything as to how local governments plan to use these funds? It's a great in-depth question, Steve-O, and I'll just say this, and maybe I can educate some people. If you have, I'm going to use an example here. If you live in the city of, the city of, uh, what am I going to, I don't even know. If you live in the city of Smith, and there are 10 homes in the city of Smith, and they're all assessed at $100,000, and they each pay $1,000 per year in taxes, and the city of Smith does a reassessment, which municipalities are required to do, and the assessor says everybody's home went up 10%. Great. Across the board, everyone's home has gone up to $110,000. What will their taxes change? The answer is they should not, one penny. So an increase in assessment does not necessarily mean, it shouldn't actually mean an increase in taxes. Every municipality is different, and their budgeting needs are different by municipality. The reason Milwaukee County has such high taxes is because Milwaukee County needs a lot of money to run that county. But in theory, when while values are going up, if they're all going up the same, the taxes aren't going to go up. The taxes are going to go up in your municipality when your municipality needs more money. That could be for schools. It could be for roads, whatever it's for. There's a million reasons they raise taxes, but it, it really shouldn't have a direct correlation to the rise in your assessment. Now, the difference is when if you have a $100,000 house and you're going to put a $75,000 addition on your home, your taxes are going up because you are going to be individually reassessed and you really just almost doubled the value of your house. So yeah, in theory there, your taxes are going to, you know, they should go up there in that example by about 75%. But don't think that an increase in valuations of property automatically increases the real estate tax base. It shouldn't at all. Um, the municipality should adjust their mill rate and mill rates do get adjusted every single fiscal year. Um, but if a municipality is being well run and they don't need to increase their budget, and all of the homes go up X, the taxes shouldn't actually go up. They shouldn't go up at all. But, you know, whether, you know, what municipalities decide to do um, is a totally different thing. But in theory, you know, the values could go down in a municipality and they could still raise the taxes by changing the mill rate. So that's kind of a separate discussion. Interesting question about do you think people on fixed incomes are going to risk being pushed out of their homes? Again, if it's due to taxes, it's not going to be, in my opinion, due to the, uh, a rise in value. It's going to be because that municipality isn't well run and, and uh, you know, the taxes could push them out. But what's interesting there is that what I'm finding, and I think I talked about this in another podcast, is that 
I'm seeing older people really look at ways to age in place. And maybe we'll do a, um, a special segment on assisted care living and what that costs, because the costs are crazy. I, I, I'm going to get some actual numbers that I can back up before I speak them, but it's crazy. It's, it's like the monthly, I know a lot of people that will blow through their savings in two years of assisted care. And that's sad, um, but it is what it is. Assisted care is very expensive, but we're seeing people really try to age in place and stay in their homes as long as they can. So we're seeing people really invest some considerable um, improvements into their home that allows them to stay as long as possible. So good question. Jordan says the proper procedure for a 1031 exchange. And guess what, Jordan? I have great news for you. You can tune on over to the podcast we did exactly, I think, 12 months ago in June of 2022. I believe it is called uh, How to Kick the Tax Bucket Down the Road. Um, Craig Haskins from Nightberry Title did a really good episode on that that basically explains how you can sell your investment property, pay zero taxes on the gain as long as you fill out the proper paperwork and as long as you reinvest those gains into another property of equal or more value. So you buy a house for 100000 you sell it for 200000 you don't want to pay gains on the $100,000 tax or the $100,000 gain, so you just buy something for $201,000 or more, and you keep deferring the tax down the road. So we have a whole podcast on that. And Joe says, uh, explain about assumed mortgages. I don't have a whole lot to explain because guess what? There's not very many out there. Um, fixed rate mortgages are not assumable, meaning that Almost everybody that's listening to this podcast has a mortgage that is not assumable. Um, however, VA loans are almost always assumable, and a lot of the FHA loans, which is a federal loan, those can be assumable also, but that doesn't mean anybody can assume them. There are, as always, underwriting rules and regulations. You have to qualify. So Joe Schmo can't just walk off the street and say, hey, I'll buy your house for this much money, and I'm going to assume your mortgage. It doesn't doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, you got to get the approval of the person holding that mortgage. My experience has been that all VA loans are assumable. Veterans obviously give are given preference, but you can assume a VA loan even if you have no military experience or you're not a veteran. I've seen that happen, so keep that in mind. And the other thing I'll talk about there, which is kind of timely, is that there's a lot of talk in the industry right now about how to potentially make mortgages assumable. The problem we have with this really stagnant market right now is that everyone's married to their their low interest rate and they don't want to give it up. So we've been talking about ideas like, well, what if you could assume other, you know, everyone else's mortgage? What if, what if I can sell my home and I can let somebody assume my two point seven five percent mortgage rate? That's going to be very attractive, and that's going to have a lot of people want to buy my house. It could even drive the value of my house up. Um, we're really early in the stages of figuring out if this is even possible, and I'm certainly not smart enough or experienced enough to, to know if there's any real possibility of this happening. But um, I do see it in the industry um, discussions quite a bit right now, talking about how to make uh, mortgages, more mortgages assumable. So interesting question, Joe. All right, that's about all I've got. Um, I think this one was short and sweet. I hope it was educational. Thanks for tuning in and listening. I hope uh, you found this educational. We'll be back next week. And for now, I am signing off. And remember to always use a local lender. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening to Home Selling Hero. 
For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with Tom across LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one, reach out to Tom at tom at tomdidier.com or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent in order for any nuances where you may live.